Hello, and welcome to Fool's Guide to the Occult. I am Hector, and welcome to part two of the Reunification series and the final episode of the show. In the first half of Reunification, we discussed cursing, hexing, and the use of poppets and effigies for these purposes, and war and death magic from the perspective of Peter J. Carroll. In this half of the series, we will look at the other side of the coin. I hope that some of this will go without saying, but assumptions don't always work in our benefits. So let's start with a similar yet unrelated story. A couple weeks ago, I was teaching a class on medieval dagger fighting in a modern context, and a student noticed that all the moves work really well, but there's a good chance that you could get cut in the process of fending off your aggressor's attack. And they posed the question, is it possible to not get cut in a knife fight? To which I responded, the only way to make sure you never get cut in a knife fight is to not get in one. Logical and practical advice. In relation to magic, it's best to not be actively trying to make enemies. Um, of course, you know, stupid nonsense happens, right? You might be part of a magical organization and some overly ambitious folk with mage-itis seeks to prove how much better they are than everyone else um, and sees you as a threat or maybe someone you thought was your friend gets jealous you're uh, committing a lot of time to something else or someone else uh, that's really important to you and uh, decides to take that out on you. Or, you know, you, you piss off the wrong person at work. You know, who, who knows what happens to make people sort of do things that they do. Sometimes just shit happens, right? Even if you don't go looking for it. And um, kind of that's what we're, we're looking at here today is how to deal with that. So the point is, you know, the universe is a crazy place. And sometimes it seems that no matter how hard we try to put ourselves on a positive path, the spooks and zombies and downright crazies will find their way to you. That's just life. Look, take the most recent uh, season of Egretsuko, for example. Uh, she finally gets her dream of being a death metal singer and, um, you know, with this up and coming idol group and then gets attacked in the street by some psycho stalker. So while the best defense is to avoid negativity, opposites do attract sometimes, and in those cases, uh, we could use a little extra help, right? So that's what we're looking at. There are some very simple things, and of course, more complicated ones that you can engage in, but let's start simple and work our way up. The easy things often find their way into the more complex components of larger rituals anyway. So perhaps the most basic of all of these are the uses of salt, water, and smoke. Uh, if you've started reading the digital grimoire on Patreon, um, you're aware there's a whole section dedicated to cleansing using the four classical elements. Uh, and there will be a section eventually focusing on cleansing using aura type energy um, eventually. And I know I said that this is the last episode of the show. Uh, we'll talk about where you will be able to find updated versions of the digital grimoire later on, because that is one thing that I will actually be continuing to do after I cease production of this show. Anyhow, uh, salt represents the earth, water obviously represents water, and smoke the air. Blessed or holy water can be sprinkled on objects or around rooms to uh, sanctify or bless or banish um, any sort of negative energy that may be in there. Uh, can also be used in cleansing baths, which we'll come to in a little bit. Salt is another object that can be used for this. Uh, salt added to water, even doubly so. 
Uh, salt is used in the creation of magical circles because it wards off all kinds of spirits, good and bad. This is why uh, when we present food to our ancestors in ancestral veneration, we avoid using salted foods or uh, breads baked with salt. Smoke, on the other hand, is uh, dependent on the kind of smoke we use. Uh, many are familiar with the use of white sage for cleansing space. There are also uh, other such herbs like agrimony, uh, which can be powerful in this respect as well. Just remember that sweet smelling things tend to draw positive energy and more acrid smells uh, tend to draw, I guess, the opposite of that uh, negative energy or, or negative spirits of some kind. Uh, interestingly enough, Many of these uh, sacred cleansing methods are actually used far and wide around the world. Some of you uh, may be familiar with sumo wrestling, and maybe, I'm sure most of you are aware of it, but maybe not deeply aware of sort of some of the practices embedded within it, um, unless you're Japanese, or just really into sumo wrestling for whatever reason. I just read a, a book that uh, recently that talked about it, so this is the only reason I kind of know this. But I found it interesting and I thought it kind of fit in here. Um, basically, sumo holds within it an interesting combination of Shinto practices, even though it's a sport. The referee dresses as a Shinto monk. And before the wrestling begins, before a match starts, sumo wrestlers will toss salt to cleanse the sacred area. They'll stomp the ground with their feet. This symbolizes uh, smushing away of evil spirits. And then they drink water to cleanse their bodies. And speaking of Japan and Shinto and water, um, water as a method of cleansing, more specifically, before you enter a Shinto shrine, you have to stop by this purification fountain uh, known as a temizuya, at which you dump water over both your hands and then wash out your mouth in a process called tesui. And this helps uh, one to be cleansed before approaching the sacred space not really far away from the ritual cleansing baths that many practitioners of Western magic engage in before beginning ritual work. Other simple ways of remaining protected throughout the day are bearing simple protective charms. In many faiths, uh, this takes the form of the holy symbol of that religion. A crucifix is a common example among Christians. A pentacle on a witch's altar can be set up in a way as to reflect negative uh, energy or negative magic uh, back towards the individual that projected it. We talked about this a little bit in season one, Tools of the Trade, um, but you can also do the same uh, with uh, pentacle jewelry. Protection bags can be crafted and carried around to keep an individual safe. These can be made either simple or elaborate, but uh, one particular method that I have used is to make a small drawstring bag. I typically make them out of uh, snakeskin. Paint protective charms on them. Uh, usually I use dragon's blood, dragon's blood ink, uh, and then fill it with a few different things. Uh, I use a vial of blessed water, uh, a bit of salt, a few protective stones. Uh, you can use whatever's available to you for this purpose. I use uh, a small quartz crystal and a orange agate. A few protective herbs, uh, like white sage or agrimony or whatever. Uh, I also use lace made out of rabbit fur as the drawstring, and then I seal the whole bag closed with sealing wax. And then, uh, so this is 
passed through sacred smoke over the altar, sprinkled with blessed water, and then placed on my ancestral altar overnight for additional blessing and charging. Um, and then you just carry this around with you as needed. I keep one in my car. Um, and then if I'm ever, you know, going out someplace that might be a little sketchy for whatever reason, I might, you know, take it out of the car and carry it with. Me. And speaking of ancestral altars, Another thing you can do to protect yourself is just build a strong relationship with your ancestors. Uh, beginning this process was discussed in the most recent episode of the show. So if you forgot to take notes on that, you can hop back over uh, one episode and have it a re-listen. Another good thing to keep in mind is to cover your head and anoint yourself with blessed water or cleansing oils when working in or passing through space where there have been or may be many lingering spirits. Classic example is a cemetery, but uh, many historical sites, especially battlefields, are filled with restless spirits. Um, among hoodoo practitioners, covering the head with a white cloth is seems to be the go-to method, but um, anything really that keeps these folks from following you home will do the trick. Uh, even throwing a bit of salt over your shoulder um, before you leave or sticking some banishing herbs in your socks or smudging yourself on the way out. These are all things um, that are practical that I've seen folks do. Um, also using holy water or blessed oil to anoint the forehead, back of the neck, palms, and ankles. There are a couple basic chants or ritual spells, things that you can use. I covered some of these in like episode one and two of the first season, uh, the by the dragon's light on this, and then you name the week and time of day. So right now it's Friday, at least I'm recording this on Friday. So I'd say by the dragon's light on this Friday afternoon, I call on thee to give me your might by the power of three. I conjure thee to protect all that surrounds me. And you repeat this three times, imagining a bright green light filling the space and a dragon coiling around the space that you're in protecting it. Um, that's a really old one that I don't remember where I came across it, but I've been using that one since I was a wee, since I first got into magic. And then um, thrice around the circles bound, sink all evil beneath the ground. That's another really old one that I used to use a lot when I was a kid. I think we referred to this in season or episode one or episode two as like baby's first ritual or something like that. Um, but you know, you can craft your own spells um, for this kind of thing. Uh, these are just simple examples that you can sort of work off of. Um, of course, there's uh, Palm 51 from the Book of Palms in the Bible, uh, which you can look up on your own. It's really long. I won't recite it for you. It's really commonly used in synchronistic traditions that combine magic with Catholicism. So like hoodoo, voodoo, um, and other similar traditions use the Book of Palms. And I've a few authors I've read have literally said uh, the Book of Palms is basically a grimoire. Uh, so interesting to look through and kind of see what's going on there. There's definitely one spell, uh, one palm in there that reads like a necromancy spell, like a conjure the dead kind of spell. And there's some uh, blessing and like uh, cleansing spells in there. So very interesting to check out, especially if you get into sort of biblical history and how a lot of the things, especially in the, well, actually both the Old and New Testament, but especially the Old Testament um, are directly from older traditions, even older than Judaism, like uh, Sumerian, Babylonian kind of uh, cultures. The Genesis is a smaller portion of some much older 
much older stuff. Uh, so uh, yeah, definitely if you are sort of curious about that, I would recommend just like picking up a copy of Palms and flipping through it. It's pretty interesting. Um, or if you just have a Bible around, you can find it in there too. All right, so let's talk about a cleansing bath. And there are many recipes and formulas and rituals out there for spiritual cleansings and baths. Uh, the most important thing I think really to remember is that it's always best to adapt these things to include methods that are personally meaningful to you. So for example, if you were to look at a cleansing from a hoodoo tradition, it would likely call for Florida oil and some specific herbs. But if you aren't from the US or you aren't familiar with these traditions, using this stuff would make, it'd be like going through the motions without the deeper connection to it, right? And so it'd be sort of meaningless and there'd be a disconnect between you and the practice itself. So be sure to, you know, always keep yourself open to other ways of thinking, but also don't bother forcing workings that don't really resonate with you. They really won't work if you if you try and do that. So always adapt things, keeping in mind to not engage in appropriation, but just adapt to sort of where you're coming from, right? So first and perhaps the most easiest thing I know people do is just fill up a bathtub, um, add some salt to it, charge it using whatever process you like. You know, you can say prayers over it. You can charge it with auric energy or just, you know, craft a more elaborate spell or ritual. But uh, it, typically this is just like a, a quick, like I need a cleansing bath. So you do that. You might light a candle and some incense. So this is great for pre-ritual cleansing. And so you charge this bath, you quickly take it. Lots of folks like to add candles uh, to the mix, but sometimes you need something with a bit more kick to it. This here is a multi-day cleansing ritual to cut ties with anything that might be attached to you um, or anything that, you know, you've come across or has come in your way or something like that that you need to wash out of your life. And so this can come in real, real handy. So to do this ritual, you will need a few things, including something to boil water in um, and obviously the water that you're going to boil. Uh, cleansing herbs or roots of your choice, ideally something you've already built a relationship with, white sage, agrimony, whatever it is, um, some kind of sweet smelling essential oil that you have a positive connection with. Uh, remember, sweet smelling things attract positive spirits. Florida water is really common for this within hoodoo, um, but really you can use anything sweet smelling, uh, perfume, essential oil. Common alternative is lavender. Lavender is used for this a lot. Uh, I like lilac personally because it reminds me of my grandmother in summertime and thus has a strong connection to my childhood and my ancestral veneration practice. You're also going to need a plate or a tray, some candles, an offering for the spirits of the herbs that you're going to use. So uh, some kind of liquor would suffice or you could use coins. Uh, I wouldn't burn the same root or plant as the incense offering to itself. Um, you essentially you want to use a different type of incense than the herbs you are using if you're making an offering to those plants. So for smoke, for example, tobacco is really common. Um, but as an ex-smoker, I refuse to go anywhere near tobacco at all. So I use cannabis when I feel like a smoke offering is is necessary. You could also burn another incense as a, a smoke offering. Uh, something to keep in mind here is 
you don't want to confuse the energies. So you don't want to use um, anything that's going to change or unbalance the process that you're trying to do. Um, so typically, you just want to add energy without altering it. So dragon's blood would be a, a good choice if you're going to use an incense here. You'll also want uh, some kind of head covering that you're willing to sleep in. So just like walking into a cemetery, white head coverings are like traditional for this kind of thing. Um, but you could use a bandana really of any kind. So now that you have all of your ingredients, um, here's what you're going to do. First, you're going to light a candle and you're going to place your ingredients on a plate and create an axis mundi or a crossroads by any method you prefer. I've discussed this in a few episodes so far, so I'm not going to, to cover it again. A quick Google search should also yield results. Now, take a few moments and ask the spirits of the ingredients you are about to work with to cleanse you from any negative, detrimental, or non-productive energies, entities, and connections. Uh, you'll also want to thank them for participating in the ritual that you're about to conduct and for the work that they will do later on. Uh, I'll leave it to you to write up your own words for this. It really should be highly personalized and unique each time you do it as our life circumstances are constantly changing. Now, you're going to want to make an offering to the ingredients so you can pass them through smoke or put a few drops of liquor on them. Uh, up to you how you're going to do that. Next, you're going to fill your pot with water. Add a couple drops of that essential oil or perfume or whatever you're using. Um, and you will want to remind the ingredients throughout the process of what you're asking for them or asking from them. Turn the heat on. As it starts to simmer, you're going to add the rest of your ingredients. So about a handful of each herb that you choose. Bring it to a boil. Again, reiterating your uh, desire. And then allow everything to sort of boil up and marry together for five to 10 minutes before bringing your pot to the bathroom. Be sure to put out that candle and shut the stove off and stuff. Now, light the candle in the bathroom by the bath. Place the plate or tray on a, you know, a counter or a table or a ledge somewhere near the candle where things aren't gonna fall over or set the house on fire or whatever. Uh, and then you're going to remove the wet herbs from the pot. Don't burn yourself. Please use tongs or something like that. Draw up your bath, fill it up, and mix in your cleansing potion. That's the liquid left over in the pot minus the herbs that you took out. And once you've done that, you've mixed it around and got it all mixed in there, get in your bath and wash yourself always from head to toe, never the opposite direction. So always head down. Uh, when you're done, you can drain the tub, but you're going to allow yourself to air dry. Don't towel off. You want all that to just kind of soak in. And then after this, you're going to place the ingredients, the wet ingredients that you used on top of your head and wrap uh, with your head covering so it'll stay in place while you sleep and go to bed. And you're going to do this three nights in a row. And that's it. Um, just remember throughout the process that you want to be thinking about your intent and your desire to be cleansed and cleared from whatever negative energies that might be attached to you. All right, so let's take a moment just for funsies, since we're talking about uh, the light side of things, uh, to talk about celestial beings a little bit. And I want to, I read a little bit recently about um, what the angels are actually like in the Bible, because um, it, as it turns out, they're not what you see on Hallmark cards and uh, in movies and things. 
So we're going to talk about angels for a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be lovey-dovey. The biblical angels are actually, they're pretty heavy metal. Um, you might not believe me, but uh, I promise uh, you will when we get done here. Uh, so there are four classes of angels within the hierarchy. The lowest class is the cherubim or cherubs. And uh, the way they're described in religious texts is nothing like the cute little fat naked babies you see on Hallmark cards or Cupid in the cartoons. Uh, the actual cherubim are animal-human hybrids. So in Ezekiel 1, 5 through 1, 11, they're described as having the shape of a human and having four faces, a man, a lion on the right side, an ox on the left side, and an eagle. Uh, and these are said to represent God's spheres of influence. The man represents humanity, the lion, uh, wild animals, the ox, domesticated animals, and the eagle birds. So I guess God doesn't get control over fish. Which leaves some questions when we think about the whole loaves and fishes miracle with Jesus. Maybe he fought Poseidon for dominion over that later on. If so, they should have left that in the official text. Anywho, the four faces also represent the four classical Western elements. So the lion represents Leo being fire, the ox, uh, Taurus. Uh, representing Earth, the eagle, according to some people and various translations, is related to Scorpio and represents the water, while the human is Aquarius and represents the air. Um, so they were also said to sparkle like bronze, so they'll fit right into the Twilight mythos. And they have hooves instead of feet. So in lots of ways, they're really similar to Babylonian mythical creature, the Lamasu, uh, which already existed by the time Judaism was becoming a religion. Uh, these creatures could act as guardians to sacred places like temples, and the cherubim did that as well, guarding the guardian of um, sorry the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve were expelled. And we find similar creatures elsewhere. The Hittites had griffins, um, which didn't really look like the uh, the D and D griffins that we think of today. Um, and then there's also like the Sphinx in Egypt, right? So sort of animal-human hybrid things there. Uh, next up, the hierarchy are the Malak, which um, you are all probably familiar with. These are the humanoid angels, and they're not really the bottom rung, but they're not so great either. Uh, I mean, they are responsible for killing hundreds of thousands of people in the Bible. Um, but other than that, there's really not much uh, about them that is super of interest to us unless you are going to be uh, calling on archangels uh, like Michael and Gabriel uh, for ceremonial work. Um, so we'll move on to discuss the seraphim. Yes, seraphim. And don't believe the Metatron in dogma. They are not the highest order of angels. Um, there is a rank above them, although in medieval theology, they are considered to be the top of the list as um, they do sort of buzz around God's throne and sing, holy, 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 24-7, 365. But their name, Seraphim, is derived from the Hebrew word seraph, which means the burning one. Um, and this is also the same word used to describe the cobra. Um, among the ancient Egyptians, cobras were often described as the flaming ones and were associated with pharaohs. Uh, for example, check out King Tutankhamun's headdress at some point. There's a big old cobra ornament uh, front and center on there. 
Anyhow, these fun little critters have six sets of wings. Four of them cover up their body, while the other remaining pair allow them to fly. God didn't invent Superman until 1938, so he needed wings to zip around until then. Finally, we come to Ophanim, uh, coming from the Hebrew word for wheels, uh, but sometimes also referred to as Galganim, which relates to spheres, whirlwinds, or wheels, um, and are described in the book of Enoch as never sleeping and constantly guarding the uh, throne of God. But if God is almighty, why does he need guard dogs? And also, if angels were made to obey and didn't have free will like humans, how did Lucifer and the other angels rebel? And if God is infallible, it knew this was going to happen before it created the angels in the first place. Or worse, it did it by design, which seems pretty cruel. Uh, anyway, these are the questions that uh, made me unpopular in Sunday school as a, as a middle schooler. Uh, I, I, I questioned authority, so I, I guess Satan and I are tight. Anyway, back to these totally badass heavenly wheel monsters. The Orphanim, or Ophanim, sorry, Ophanim, are described as interlocking gold wheels with eyes all the way around the rim and which hover and fly through the sky. Ezekiel described them in the same vision in which he saw the cherubim, and he described them as being uh, a wheel within a wheel, and inside them were the cherubim. As the cherubim moved, so did the wheels, as if they were sort of one entity, but also uh, the garden is supposed to be on earth, and Ophanim are, are said to be the guard dogs of the heavenly throne. Maybe a couple went rogue. Uh, they're also said to carry God's throne in some cases. So maybe uh, there's like a, a whole ton of them with different jobs. Uh, either way, they're, they're often viewed as the holiest creatures in heaven next to God uh, itself. Also, some accounts of them say that on the wheels are just like a bunch of eyes, like all, all over them, uh, just covered in eyes. So yeah, that's that's Ophanim, pretty uh, unique creature in uh, biblical lore, I guess. All right, so say you want to do a little work with heavenly angels. What can you do? How can you get started? Well, first off, it's pretty common practice among Catholics, ceremonial magicians, and hoodoo practitioners. So you can look to those systems for a little bit of guidance. A uh, super common thing is to have totems or cards with prayers to specific angels or saints around the home, uh, often by doors or windows where energy could pass through into the home. Of course, uh, praying is a common thing you can do. Not everyone thinks of angels like Christians think of angels. Uh, you can think of them as just uh, positive, loving spirits. Uh, so prayer doesn't have to, in this sense, uh, need to be connected with a specific faith. And of course, you can conjure and invoke angels just like you can uh, demons or any other kind of spirit. Um, there's a whole episode of the show dedicated to uh, invocation, and we discuss a little bit of, of conjuring in general as well there. So you can check that out if you haven't already. And with that, I'd just like to say that, you know, the, the specter of death haunts all things, giving uh, the blessing and curse of life. The phrase memento mori reminds us to live now because all things come to an end, and such is the case for this show. Uh, I wanted to finish out the calendar year, but the strains of teaching during this pandemic, also teaching parents how to be parents and teaching administrators how to use technology, in addition to running my online business, uh, this show, and trying to have as much of a, a life as possible outside of all of that is really just too much. 
uh, to do. So you know, some things had to go on the chopping block, and unfortunately, this show was it. Um, it takes a whole lot of work and time to produce something like this and to do it right. And uh, I just simply can't put the energy into it. It's not the energy it deserves anyway, and not the energy you all deserve. So um, that's really that. The show will, of course, remain up and available. The face group, Facebook page and group will remain open, as well as the Instagram, although there's not really a whole lot there to check out. I may produce some other podcast-like stuff in the future although it won't probably be like a whole regular uh show or anything like that um but any potential future things will be directly nestled under the umbrella of my company magic and metal that's m-a-g-i-c-k the letter n metal m-e-t-a-l and speaking of which if you're already a patreon supporter of course you're going to want to stop supporting f-g-t-u-t-o because it will no longer uh be in production but You may turn your attention to the Patreon that exists for Magic and Metal or recently just got opened. Um, So that is patreon.com forward slash M-A-G-I-C-K-N-M-E-T-A-L. And as one of the ongoing aspects of this show that I am pulling over to uh, the, the Magic and Metal Patreon will be the Digital Grimoire. So I will... Uh, be continuing to update that with fun and new things periodically releasing it over there um, as well as there'll be a bunch of like behind the scenes stuff from my online shop and other stuff I'm working on uh, there is a tiered system over there so you will get uh, actual physical merchandise sent to you periodically um, eventually there will be um, like a much wider range of, pr- of products and things like that but um, you know if you're interested go ahead check that out Um, So this is not the end, my friends, but a new beginning. just want you to always remember as one door closes, another one opens. There's a final thought I'd like to leave you with, though. The original intention of Fool's Guide to the Occult, though it sort of veered from this path during the second season, was to give um, the lay practitioner the tools with which to build a practice from the ground up. But I want to mention in that vein that there's no pinnacle of this or any craft. Within the martial arts community uh, I'm part of, there's a, a phrase that's often echoed that uh, goes, the beginning fighter wishes to learn the skills of the intermediate combatant. And the intermediate fighter seeks to attain the skills of the master. And the master endlessly focuses and drills fundamentals or beginning aspects of the art. Uh, and that's true for magic and really it's true for magic and really all other skills there's one final thing i'll leave you with um and please consider this deeply for it's not to be taken at face value there's an old buddhist phrase that came across about a decade ago um the phrase goes like this if you meet the buddha on the road to enlightenment kill him